All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I am continuing a verse-by-verse -verse study that I started many moons ago in church uh, during our Sunday school hour. And for those of you that have been around a while, you, you were there for that. Uh, I started to go through it, and then I uh, had the surgery with my, uh, for my voice. And, of course, that didn't, things didn't turn out the way we had hoped. And uh, since that time, I've, God's been so good. It's been so wonderful to see God working in various people's lives, preparing them to step up. And, and a number of people have done a number of things. And not all of it is something that uh, you know, happens in the pulpit. There's a lot that happens outside of the pulpit as well. But Garrett has been a great help and uh, taken some of the teaching responsibilities. And he has been teaching Sunday school for uh, several months now, doing a great job. But I am going to return to that verse-by-verse -verse study. Now, we do go verse-by-verse -verse in Bible school. However, we're trying to accomplish right a, a, a big task in a short amount of time. So we're trying to cover the entire book of Romans, Matthew, uh, the epistles this year. We're trying to cover all of that in one, one school year's worth of time. These studies that we're going to do tonight we can take our time. I'm not under any time constraints, so we may not make it two or three verses, uh, but that's perfectly fine. I like to be able to dig into everything that the verse has to offer. So a slightly different feel to the service tonight. Uh, so if you recognize a difference, that's what's going on. Uh, there's no attendance code or anything like, like that either. So 2 Corinthians 8, we'll begin in verse 10. And before I give you a quick recap on 2 Corinthians, just to refresh your mind of what we've looked at up until this point, uh, let's, let's bow our heads together, let's pray, ask for God's help. Lord, thank you. What a privilege it is to sing these songs. The sweet by and by, Lord, we are looking forward to that time when we can stand on that beautiful shore, sing the melodious songs of the blessed. Lord, for our voices to join with heaven's choir, and to sing hallelujah and to shout praise the Lord. We can't wait for that day. Until that time, we appreciate and thank you so much for preserving the words of God, but this, this Bible for us to study, learn about you. Lord, please let it change us tonight. Teach us something. Lord, speak to our hearts and may, may you use me, Father, simply as a vessel to that end. And I ask for your help and your grace tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Uh, 2 Corinthians. Now this book, let me just re re remind you, the theme of the book is, and, and you know, it depends on how you want to approach it. You could find, I guess, two or three different themes. But the theme that always comes to the forefront for me is the ministry. Paul is going over various aspects of the ministry. There's a lot of defense of his own ministry. And in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, yeah, chapters 8 and 9, specifically, we're, we're looking at the financial side of the ministry. So those of you, if you're just joining us, please don't think that I've intentionally jumped into this passage so that I can talk about money or something. That's, that's not my intention. This is part of our study. Uh, I, so there, I'm not going to go through each chapter and what we've previously learned. Uh, for those of you that are interested, we do have it all on recording if you would like to catch up on that. But Paul is talking to the Corinthians in this chapter, starting in verse 1, if you want to let your eyes just uh, run down with me here. 
He mentions the churches of Macedonia. You can see that in verse 1. That'll be the Philippians and the Thessalonians. Those are the two churches in the Macedonian area or province, if you wanted to think of it like that. Uh, specifically, I, I think that he's, he's more or less pointing towards the, the Philippians with what he's saying here. But that being said, I, I think the Thessalonians could also fit in this. He's telling the Corinthians how God has used these Philippian, these Macedonian people, even though they were extremely poor. See that in verse 2. They abounded with deep poverty, but they also abounded with liberality. They were very generous with what they did have. And he said, through their giving, you can recognize the grace of God in their life. Now, that's not the only way we see God working in somebody's life. But when you see people putting the needs of others and putting the, the areas of emphasis right that, that God emphasizes, when, when a, a person emphasizes those same things and puts their to use the phrase, money where their mouth is, right? They say, this is important to me, and they prove it with their money. You must admit, that's not typical behavior for human beings, to part easily with their money. There's lots of things that we would agree and say, yes, it's an important thing, but we may not always be uh, tempted to get financially involved. This, th the needs that were being addressed at this time were so important that even though the churches of Macedonia were poor, they, they still got what they could together and gave. Now, the, the reason for the offering that we're reading about in this chapter and the next one, there were many poor saints suffering in Jerusalem because of a, a massive famine that had hit the empire at that time. So these other, these other brothers and sisters in Christ, they had never probably met their... Uh, their brethren, right? These, their spiritual brethren in Jerusalem, but they heard about a need and they said, this is our chance. We can, we can show them how much we appreciate what they had to go through and how God used them because through that first church in Jerusalem, right? That's where the apostles started off. That's where, you know, the book of Acts, chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, all, all of it started in Jerusalem. And from there, the gospel began to go out little by little to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, which would include, in, at, at this time, Macedonia, Corinth, and, and such. So this is their opportunity to show their love for these brethren that really, you know, they suffered a lot of persecution and hardships as the church was, was beginning to form and gel. Uh, so this was a chance for them to say thank you. Now, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 10, Paul says, And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you. So he says, what, what I have to tell you, the advice I want to give you, something that's going to be beneficial or profitable for you. And then he says, who have begun before. Now that word who, I believe, is important. What we have is Paul saying, I'm going to give you some advice. I think this will help you. And then for the rest of the verse, he's going to describe the Corinthian people and what they did previously. And then the advice is actually going to come in verse 11. So if you want to think of the end of verse 10 as one massive adjective that is describing these people, who have begun before, and then he's going to tell us what they began to do. They began not only to do 
but also to be forward a year ago. And I think it would be smart here to take just a moment and explain this, this English because this is older English that is used here. And this is one of those few times where I think we need, legitimately need the help of a few other words to, to kind of explain what we're reading because we simply don't talk like this anymore. And I realize that some people say, you know, the King James Bible has a lot of Old English and so much of it you just can't understand because it's English we don't use. You know, uh, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, if you just read the context, you can kind of get what that one word, that older word means. And every now and then, if you have to turn to a dictionary, it's not the end of the world. I, I understand that the King James translation was made many years ago. And that's why I think we do find a couple of the, a few, very few of these, these occasions where we do have to dig in a little bit to find the meaning. But he says at the end of the verse, but also to be forward a year ago. Now we don't use it that way anymore, the word forward, but it means they were willing, right? Now, if I can just borrow another language for a moment. If you look at the Greek word that produced forward, right? That was translated as forward. Look at verse 11. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will. Do you see that phrase, to will? It's the same Greek word, exact same Greek word. So forward, you could also translate as willing or to will. So in back to verse 10, what we're reading here is a description of the Corinthian people from last year. They were ready, they were willing, right? And actually doing something about this offering for the poor saints. So they had heard about this famine that had hit, and when it happened, they said, let's, let's start getting an offering together. They began to do it, and, listen to this, they began to do it willingly. Those are two different things. Two different things. That's why Paul points out not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. So what, were, what was the condition of the Corinthian church and their heart, their attitude towards helping financially in this situation? They would take up an offering and they would also do it willingly. Now, I think it's worth pointing that out that those are two different things, to do something and to do it willingly. I'm sure you have had times in your life, and me as well, right? I think we all face this at, at various times, where we just do it because we feel obligated. And you have to admit, when you do something purely because it's obligated, right? You just feel like if you don't do it, then uh, you're letting someone down and your heart's really not in it, but hey, you gotta do it. Now listen, sometimes, you know, duty requires that. Sometimes you just have to suck it up and do what you need to do. You don't always feel like doing right. You just need to do right. But you have to admit, when your heart's in it, when you have the right attitude, a willing attitude, it makes that endeavor so much more meaningful. And you normally do a much better job, don't you? Uh, I think it's safe to talk about this now because we're going to be meeting again and uh, it's been you know a few months since we've since we've been able to gather together um, and see each other but I know from years of experience and I'm sure you know this as well there's many times that we come to church 
right? We did it. We were there. But man, it wasn't willingly, you know? Our heart wasn't in it. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah said it like this, uh, that God was on the lips of the people, but their heart was far from it, right? So they were saying, going through the right motions, but their heart wasn't in it. Let me show you another verse on this. Get 1 Corinthians 9. Just come back a couple pages. 1 Corinthians 9. Let's get verse number 16. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. I want you to see another place where Paul distinguishes between doing something and doing it willingly. And, and if I can say, that's pretty much the, the theme of tonight's lesson. The verses we're going to be looking at, that's what Paul's really driving home, I believe. 1 Corinthians 9, look at verse 16. He says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. I can't brag about it. For necessity is laid upon me. It's a necessity. He's obligated. It was a command given by God to Paul, go preach the gospel. Did you know that that command is given to every believer? Not just Paul. Every believer has this necessity laid upon them to a certain extent, right? You may not be called to go start a church somewhere. You may not be called to leave your your kin and country and and go to a mission field. But within the sphere, right, that you operate, you do have the responsibility to reach those people with the gospel. uh, 2 Corinthians 5, we saw this, that we have been given the ministry and the word of reconciliation. We have the gospel. It's been committed to our trust and we need to give it to others. Now, he says, for necessity is laid upon me. And then this statement, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. What, what does he mean by that? I would be miserable. I would be miserable if I don't preach the gospel. I would be a miserable wretch. What kind of person would I be if I didn't do that? It's very tempting at this point just to bunny trail, as preachers say, and and talk about that for a while. But I want you to really focus in on verse 17. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. Notice that. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Paul says, one way or the other, I am going to preach the gospel. He said, there might be times that I do it against my will. And if I'm doing that, it's because I have a responsibility. This has been committed to me. It's my job to get this out. I'm going to get it out. But his first option, right? This comes first in the verse. If I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. Now, interestingly enough, 1 Corinthians 9, do you know what it's talking about? It's talking about money and the ministry. It's talking about supporting the preacher, And Paul is pointing out that he doesn't preach for the money. He says, the reward that I get out of this, and you can see this as as the passage goes on, is the fact that souls get saved and that Christ is pleased with what he's done. He's not teaching all of this stuff about supporting the preacher financially so that he can get the money as a reward. So that's the point of what we're reading here. Paul wants to preach the gospel willingly. And he wants to do it for Christ's sake and for the sake of lost souls. Now, come back to 2 Corinthians 8. 
And in verse 10, he says, I want to give my advice. This is expedient for you who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. I, I want to give some advice to you guys that were willing and started to do something about it. Did you know it's much easier to give advice to people that are already convinced of the need in the situation? And the reason I say that is when, when we preach, right, when we talk about various things in church, when we have Bible studies, if you have to convince people of how important the Bible is, of how important it is to apply the things that we're learning, you know, we're taking away from the time that it would, we, can, uh, we can apply to actually learning what the text is and, and making a plan for actually doing something about it, you know, organizing ourselves to go do something. But a lot of our time is spent trying to convince people to get involved. These people were already involved. They were already convinced that there was a need and something needed to be done. So much easier to give advice to that crowd. The reason I say that is I hope that you're one of those people. And you know, God is, I must say this, I, I like to brag on, on our church because you, you guys deserve it. There's so many of you. And for years now, it's not as if it's a, a, a recent phenomenon. For years, so many hungry souls have, God has brought them our way. People that genuinely want to learn. They, they know how important this stuff is. And I want to say that they sit on the edge of their seat, right? Metaphorically, they're sitting on the edge of their seat just waiting. Say, preacher, tell us what, what we can do. I have people that actually send me messages with that in it. Preacher, just tell me what can we do. They're waiting for advice, right? They know that there's a need. Just tell me how I can be involved. Man, that, that's the crowd that's easy to deal with. Now, verse 11, here comes the advice. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. That's the advice. Finish what you started. Do you know that's good advice for everything? These guys had started to take up an offering. And it appears, right, I, I'm, I admit that I'm, I'm reading between the lines here a little bit because Paul doesn't tell us what happened to the Corinthian church in between last year and the time that he's writing. But it appears that for whatever reason, the Corinthians were now in doubt as to whether or not they should send this offering. Now, there's two schools of thought. One, one, one school of thought is the Corinthians had got a bit lukewarm and maybe lost interest in helping the, the saints in Jerusalem and said, ah, you know, we, we thought about it. We were willing back then, but now you know, maybe, maybe we can send that money somewhere else or use it here in Corinth or whatever. Uh, I can understand why people would think that. The Corinthian church had issues. However, the other school of thought, and this one I, I, I think is equally as viable, is that the Corinthians themselves might have found hard times. And maybe they were in a bit of a financial pinch. And a year, you know, last year, they had more money to give. They might have felt as if, hey, this offering will make a difference. But then hard times hit, and they, they weren't able to send that money. And now they, they'd like to do it, but they're looking at what they have to send, and it's not very much. And they're thinking, ah, you know, is it even worth the time to get involved for just this small amount? I tend to think that the second school of thought is what's actually happening simply because of the context. 
Paul has told them about the great trial of affliction, verse 2, that other churches had gone through, and yet they still gave. And then we're going to see in verses 12, 13, 14, how uh, sometimes when you have plenty, you help those that don't have enough. And then later on, maybe they have enough and you're lacking, and it can, it can go both ways. So I think, based on the context, that the Corinthians fell on hard times. And now they don't have as much to work with, and they were wondering, should we still perform this intention that we had to, to send this offering to the people in Jerusalem? He says, now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, they were ready and willing. Ready and willing. I'm going to point, something else, uh, point out something else about that in a moment. That as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. So I think he's drawing attention to the, to the amount that they're able to give and saying, guys, don't worry that it's not as much as you would have liked it to have been, but do something with what you have. Do you realize what great advice that is, no matter what we're talking about? Me personally, I have found this to be uh, helpful even in my life because it's been over a year since I had the surgery on my voice. And they told me that two or three weeks after the surgery, my voice would be pretty much back to normal. And then I could go on singing, preaching, teaching smartly, right? But I could, I could go on like before. And it just hasn't worked out that way. And uh, you know, I had to pull away for a little while and take a couple months, uh, not only to let my voice rest, my entire body rest, but my mind as well, because I did. My heart was, was troubled. My mind was troubled. My spirit was shaken. I have, uh, I'm, uh, there's no, no need for me to hide that from you. I, th I think you know that's true. And more than once, the thought crossed my mind. I don't, I, I can't do as much as I used to do. I can't teach, preach, sing. I can't have long chats with people, right? Counseling sessions. I can't go out witnessing like I used to. There's something about being out in, in, in the public. It just, it hurts. I, for whatever reason, the wind blowing, it just, I can't do it for a, a long stretch of time. And the thought crossed my mind many times. Maybe, maybe this is God's way of saying you're done. Go do something else. Because in my mind, I thought I don't have as much to offer. So maybe I shouldn't offer it at all. But then isn't this a fitting piece of advice for I know Paul's talking about it financially, but it, doesn't it fit? Doesn't the advice fit? Okay, maybe I don't have as much to offer physically, right, as far as a voice. I can't sing like I used to. I can't teach and preach as, for as long as I could. But if I take what I do have and put it in the hands of God and say, God, it may not be as much as it used to be, it may, my voice not, may not be as strong. The trumpet may not, it may not sound as loud as it used to. But whatever I do have, I am willing to use it for you. And strangely enough, since I have surrendered that to the Lord, I have seen God work more powerfully. And, and I say that... I, Right, It's not as if it's been a, a, a very long time. So I, I think that there will still be fruit down the road that 
you know, things I couldn't have seen even now. But I have seen God stirring in hearts, working in my own heart, changing my whole attitude about preaching and teaching. And wouldn't you know it, here we are months later, and we're still going through Bible school. Sunday services are still taking place, even with all this COVID stuff going on. God's still working. You know where it all starts? It starts with a willing attitude. It, it starts with the will. Take your Bible. Come to 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you would, please. 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. Let me show you something about ready and willing. Uh, man, I didn't even realize this when I planned the lesson out. First Timothy 6, you know what we're talking about? Money, strangely enough. First Timothy 6, verse 17 and 18. Paul says to Timothy, charge them that are rich in this world. Can I just say real quick, if you're listening to this by live stream, there's a very good chance that you fall under the category of rich in this world. Yeah. I, I realize in, in the technological age in which we live that somebody can have access to the internet and not have a lot of money. And I realize that maybe when you look around in your neighborhood, there are others with more money than you. You may not feel rich. But when I look at my own situation, right, I've seen poverty. We've all seen poverty. It's here in South Africa, all over the place. After nine years of living in Malawi, I've seen what poverty looks like. I'll never doubt again as to whether or not I'm rich. So I take this verse seriously. And, and, and I, I suggest you do the same. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded. Don't think that because you have money makes you smarter or better than anyone nor trust in uncertain riches. Right, the book of Proverbs talks about how money can grow wings and fly away. It's uncertain. Nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. I, like the, I love the balance of Paul. He doesn't rebuke the rich and say, if you're rich, then you're wrong. If you're rich, then you're sinning. You must have compromised. He, he doesn't say that. If God has blessed you and allowed you to have something, you are allowed to enjoy it. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. So whatever He has allowed you to obtain, you're allowed to enjoy it. But make sure that the rest of the verse is also true, that you're not high-minded, that you don't trust the money, that you're, you continue to trust the one who provided the money. And verse 18, right? There's no full stop at the end of 17. Verse 18 says that they do good, that they be rich in good works. Wouldn't that be something if, if somebody looked at their bank account and said, for each rand that I have, I'll make sure there's a good work that corresponds. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do one good deed for each rand that God provides. Whew, we'd have some really good people if they did that. <laughs> that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready, do you see this? Ready to distribute, willing to communicate. It doesn't say that the rich need to distribute and communicate, which is another way of saying give, right? To, to, 
to, to give an offering. They need to be ready and willing to do those things. Ready and willing to do it. It starts with the right attitude, with a willing attitude. Folks, if, if God's blessed you with some additional resources and you have a little bit of money saved up, you do need to turn the dial of your heart to generosity and say, God, if there's any way that I can be a help and a blessing to others with these resources, please show me how. I'm ready and I'm willing. However, you still have to be smart. You can't say yes every time somebody asks for something. The Bible says in Psalm 112 verse 5, the good man shows favor and lends. He guides his affairs with discretion. You can't always say yes, but you should always be ready and willing. Willing. That attitude. Come back to 2 Corinthians 8. We'll see it again in verse 12. So Paul's given us some great advice. Finish what you start. Even though it may not, you you may look at it and think, this isn't turning out as, as grand as I wanted it to. I didn't do as good of a job as I had hoped. I didn't, I'm not living up to the expectations I set for myself. Well, but listen, do something with what you got. Okay, maybe you made a few mistakes over the past year. Maybe last year you had all these great intentions for things you were going to do for God and it hasn't panned out. Rather than sit around feeling sorry for yourself, drowning in the pit of your pity party, just do something with what you do have. Take advantage of whatever opportunities are still available to you. Verse 12, that's great advice. For if there be first a willing mind. Now notice the timing of it. If there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. What's he getting at? When God looks down at what you're doing and he sees that you were willing, you would have done more if you could have. They were ready a year ago to do even more. God looks down and accepts and acknowledges not just what they're able to do, but the attitude, the willingness that they had. That also is something that God acknowledges. We look at it sometimes and think, okay, you know, it's just whatever would be written down on the spreadsheet, the amount I gave or the amount of things that I did for others. But remember, God looks on the heart. You know, there are a lot of people that would do a lot more if they had the time, the energy, the resources, the health. And sometimes I think they get a little discouraged. They get a lot discouraged and say, you know, I I just don't feel as if I'm very profitable towards God and towards, you know, my, my, my neighbor. You have to remember that God looks on your heart. He looks, he looks at the attitude, that willing mind, and He says, okay, I'm going to accept what you do have to offer based on the willing mind. I'm not, I'm not going to accept it because of this grand gesture of how much was involved. It's one of those things where it's quality more than quantity, right? That willing attitude. That willing attitude. I, I, I think about, whenever I get to this verse, I often think about our good friend, Brother Adrian Dominguez. 
You might remember that he came and preached for us in our last missions conference. And uh, him and I, we've kept in touch, and he's been a real, real blessing to me. And, and to several of you, I know you've kept in touch with him as well. He's been through quite a bit, but God has used that man and is using that man. Uh, many of you probably remember the story, and I, I would let him give you all the details of it, but him and I went to Bible school together. He was a year behind me in, uh, in class. So after I graduated, I hit the road on deputation uh, to, to, to come to Africa, you know, preparing for that. And then Brother Dominguez, he also, after graduation, immediately started preparing to go to the mission field. So he and his wife, they did their deputation, they raised their support, and they headed off. I, if, please forgive me if I get it wrong. I'm pretty sure. I don't know why my memory is failing me on this. I think it was Bolivia. Um, but Brother Dominguez, if you hear this, forgive me if I have that wrong. But he headed off for Bolivia. And after only a few months there, his wife became deathly ill, and, and literally. I mean, it was life or death. If they would have stayed, there was a good chance she wouldn't have made it. And I believe Brother Dominguez did what a responsible husband should do. He looked at that situation, and he could have said, hey, we're just going to push through it, and uh, whatever the cost involved, you know, if it costs me my wife, I'm going to stay. I, you know... My hat's off to him for making a tough call. Because there are some people that would have said, hey, you, you know, God called you to Bolivia, you stay there. Brother Dominguez looked at that situation and said, well, my, my wife is not going to be able to survive this. And he went back to America. And I know for a time, he really struggled with that decision. He felt as if, man, I have failed. I let people down. I've let God down. And you know what that guy did? He didn't quit. He finished, he looked at what he did have and he said, let me finish what I've started. I may not be able to be on the mission field. I may not start churches in Bolivia, but here I am, God. Here am I. Send me. Lord, what can I do? And God sent him out to, to the Denver area there in Colorado. And he has uh, an outstanding church there now, New Heights Baptist Church. And God has blessed that man in his ministry he, he went. You see, he had this readiness, this willingness to do this great work on the mission field. Didn't pan out. Rather than quit, he took Paul's advice. He said, well, I'm, I'm willing to do what I can with what I have. And man, God has blessed it. God has blessed it. If there be first a willing mind, it is accepted. God accepts that. He, he looks at that and says, that's acceptable. That's, that's a work that I can appreciate and acknowledge. Turn your Bible to John chapter 7. Let me show you something else about this willing mind, this proper attitude. John chapter 7. And uh, begin reading with me. We're going to start in verse 14. John 7. You know, there are some people that they say, you know, I just can't believe. Have you ever talked to anybody like that? Um, maybe you've, if you've done personal work before and tried to win somebody to Christ, uh, sometimes you'll come across an atheist or an agnostic, and they'll say, you know, I, I just have my doubts, and, and uh, I just don't think I can believe. You know, everybody is able to believe. Everybody. God, this is, this is part of being human. 
is that He has given us this free will, this ability to choose and to decide. That's part of being human. Anybody can believe, but not everybody is willing to. That's the difference. Some people are simply not willing to believe because of what comes with believing it. Once you believe something, then obviously it requires action. If A is true, then, then B must happen, right? There, there's, there's consequences to faith in a good way, right? There's fruit that comes from it. Uh, let me show you an example of this where, where willingness is linked to believing. John 7 and verse 14. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Now, how does he know letters? It's not that he knows the alphabet, guys. It, how, when, when they refer to letters, how is it that this guy is, is so well-versed? He knows these verses of Scripture. He can you know, pull these quotations out. He can make sense out of all these different ideas. But he never got any uh, official education. He never went to a big university. He didn't study at the feet of some famous uh, lawyer or... Pharisee or scribe or doctor of the law. How does he know this? Verse 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying, Guys, it's not me just making this up. I am simply telling you what the Father told me to say. Verse 17, If any man will do his will. Now look at that. If any man will, there's the will of man. Do his will, there's the will of God. He shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So if you want to know if I'm just some rogue preacher making this stuff up, trying to gain a following and get a reputation, or if you'd like to know if this is truly from God, the first thing that must be in place is a willing mind. If there first be a willing mind, are you willing? Are you willing to believe what God said? Are you willing to put it into action? Are you willing to do something with what you have? See, I've made mistakes. Are you willing to do something with what you have left? There must be a willing mind. Jesus said, if you are willing to do what God says, if you're willing to do His will, then you'll know. Then you'll be convinced. You say, why? If a person approaches the revelation of God with the right attitude, it all of a sudden becomes very plain and clear. It falls into place. Everything starts to click and make sense. And you go, okay, I see how God has worked. I accept how He has revealed things. And it makes sense out of how I feel when I do certain things. It makes sense out of the way people react. Everything starts to fall into place when you approach it with the right attitude. You see, even Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. And we, we get on Thomas quite a bit because, you know, he, he asked for more evidence and more proof. You got to give this to Thomas, though. Listen, I, you got to say this about him. He was willing to believe it once he had the evidence. Now, he, he should have believed it based on what his other apostle friends had told him, right? So that's John chapter 20, and we could talk more. We, we did talk about that not too long, uh, too long ago. But, but Thomas, it's not, it's not good to doubt. It's not good 
to balk, right, to pause when God does reveal truth, it, it's a shame that people require more and more evidence. But you got to give this to Thomas when, he, when Jesus showed up and said, here I am, put your finger in and, and you can see that it's me. But go ahead, put your hand in, in my side. You can see it's me. Thomas just fell right down at his feet and said, my Lord and my God. He worshiped him, said, my Lord and my God. He did something with what was revealed. So Thomas, even though he might have been a little harder to convince than some of the other guys, he, he was willing. His, his attitude was right. If any man will do his will. I saw a debate um, couple years back. I watched it on YouTube. So the debate happened, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years ago. But there's a, a very famous Christian philosopher, I think is how they describe William Lane Craig. But he is one of the best and, and well-known Christian apologists in the world. He's actually been to, to South Africa and he debated Yusuf Ismail, uh, the gentleman I debated. They debated in Cape Town uh, several years ago. Um, about the deity of Christ. But William Lane Craig, he often debates some of the highest level atheist minds in the world. Richard Dawkins, um, Christopher Hitchens while he was alive. He, he's debated these men. So he, he can certainly hold his own and he's excellent at explaining uh, the rational sense that, the, that uh, the Bible makes in the story of Christ and the resurrection and so forth. This particular debate, William uh, Craig was debating an atheist about the resurrection. So the atheist early on in the debate said that the disciples didn't actually see the resurrected Jesus, but they probably hallucinated and they thought they saw it. And that was his explanation for why all these various people had reported seeing Jesus after the crucifixion, is that they all had the same hallucination. He said, it is easier to believe that all these different people and groups of people had the same hallucination. It's easier to believe that than to say Jesus actually came back from the dead. He said, because dead people just don't come back to life. So, Brother Craig, he, he responded to that. He did a good job of dealing with that. Later on, it was time for question and answer. And somebody asked this atheist from the crowd, what would it take to convince you that the resurrection actually took place. And this atheist, man, did he step into it. He said, well, you know, I think if Jesus were to appear to me personally, that would convince me. Now, see, he made a mistake there because most atheists dodge that question. Almost every time what they'll say is, I don't know what would convince me. They, they just stay away from that. This guy said if Jesus appeared, immediately Brother Craig began to, to, to giggle and laugh, and the whole crowd kind of caught on immediately to what he was going to say. So Brother Craig had a chance to respond to that answer, and he said, wait a minute. Earlier you said that the disciples, when they had an appearance of Jesus, you said they were just hallucinating. Wouldn't you say the same thing if Jesus appeared to you? Wouldn't you think that you were hallucinating as well? And the atheist, he had to bite his tongue on that and say, well, <laughs> I guess I would. So he kind of contradicted himself right away. Now, what's the problem there? The problem is not that atheist is mind, right? He, he, he was an intelligent man as far as intelligence goes. But 
The problem is in his heart. He had the wrong attitude. He didn't want to believe. He wasn't willing to believe because of everything else that would come with it. Let me show you one other thing about being willing. Come back to Exodus chapter... Uh, let's get Exodus 35. Exodus 35. Anytime I think about being willing, I don't know why this passage comes to my mind. You know, building the tabernacle, this was a big deal. This was a, a massive project for uh, the nation of Israel. And this tabernacle stood for hundreds of years after this. Exodus 35, now, with, with something as important as this mobile house of God, this tabernacle, you'd be tempted to think that the most elite of Israel's society were the ones behind the building of the tabernacle. And that's, that's not the case. Moses, he kind of oversaw it. He gave the directions for it. But you're going to see now the key ingredient in building the tabernacle. Exodus 35 in verse 4. And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, and offering for, of the Lord gold and silver and brass. And you can see how the list continues on. Whatever that person had available to them, he said, you can bring it to, the, to this place and we'll put it towards the building of the tabernacle, bring it as an offering of the, for the Lord, of the Lord. But he said, uh, first, you've got to have a willing heart. Moses didn't want to force the people to give. Do you see that? He didn't have to twist their arm. He said, guys, here's what God wants us to do. And if you're willing to get involved, then here's what we need. And the people started to bring it. Look, look down at verse 20. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing. His spirit, that his own human spirit. That person heard what Moses said about God commanding us to build this tabernacle. And based on that, they knew from everything else they had seen and how God had worked through Moses, they knew that we should take this seriously. This is a big deal. This is our chance to, to be involved in what God is doing. And when they left that church service where Moses talked about the materials that they would need, they were, their heart was touched. Now, <laughs> you know, as a... If you think like a Calvinist and you think, well, these people might have, you know, they're dead in their sins and therefore their, their spirit is dead and they, they're unable, right? Their will doesn't work. That doesn't fit very well with verse 21. Their spirit made them willing. That spirit, even before the new birth, right? These people in Exodus 35, they didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. They had the Word of God revealed to them. And that Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, pierced all the way deep down into their hearts, stirred them, said, we got to do something about this. And it says, whom His Spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle, the congregation, and for all His service, and for all the holy garments, and then the work got done. How did it get done? It started 
with a willing heart. It started, it started with the right attitude. Where is it going to start in your life? You say, you know what? I don't know the Bible that well. And I don't know how to talk to people and share the gospel with them. And you know, I don't have many resources. I don't have a lot of money. I, I don't, there's not much I can give to people. And I, I just don't see what difference I can make. How about you start with this? Say, God, here am I. Send me. Use me. I don't have much. It's just five loaves and two fishes. And when I look at what I have compared to what needs to be done, it seems like a drop in the bucket. I don't see how you could possibly take my little lunch and feed the multitude if you'll put it in the hands of Jesus Christ. If you will simply submit, willingly lay it down at the cross and say, Lord, here it is. Not much, but it's, it's me. God, please use it. Please, God, use it. It may not be as grand as, as I would like it. It may not be what others can offer, but it's what I can offer. Oh, you'll be amazed at how God can take that little bit and touch the lives of hundreds, if not thousands, all around you. It all starts first with a willing mind. God looks down on that and says, I accept it. It may not be as much as others. It may not be as much as you would like, but I accept what you're doing. Well done. Well done. All right, that's where we're going to stop for tonight. We'll talk more about the Corinthians and their offering next time. There's still plenty to be learned from that passage. Uh, I believe, I, I, I hesitate to promise because I'm still formulating a proper schedule, but there are some other men that are going to be helping me with uh, sermons and lessons on Sunday evening. So when I am uh, doing the Sunday evening service, I'll be in 2 Corinthians 8 and, and onwards, verse by verse. But I believe, if, if memory serves, that Garrett will be bringing you uh, the lesson or the sermon next Sunday night. And then, like I said, we'll have various men sprinkled in throughout the, uh, throughout the break from Bible school. But I appreciate you joining in tonight. If I can ask you, let's bow our heads. We'll close with a word of prayer. And then, Lord willing, looking forward to seeing groups A and B, seeing you next Sunday at church. Father, thank you. What a blessing this evening to look just a few verses from 2 Corinthians 8, but I believe there's some powerful and, and important advice, something that all of us can apply, all of us need to hear. Lord, you have done everything that needs to be done for us to take action. Lord, I, I believe it's up to us now to be willing. I pray, God, if there are maybe some Thomases that have their doubts, show them what they need to see. But Lord, help us to bring the right attitude to the table. And Lord, we may not have much to offer. Small little church in Potrasdrum, a town most of the world doesn't even know about. But Lord, we put our church in your hands. Use us, God. We may not be able to reach as many people as some other outfits, some other churches, but Lord, Use us as much as you can. We want to be used of you. Thank you for this time tonight. Thank you for a great day. Centered and, 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 and uh, occupied in your word. What a blessing. Thank you for it. 
Have your hand upon us until we can gather again. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, Lord willing, we'll see you soon.